here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You're comparing that to the invention of the concept of zero. I have combined an imaginary pizza in-joke with the idea of killing the rude with the idea of puns. This joke is all over the place. It's great. There's like eight levels to it. You know, Cody, I, I heard you, you, you say the, the, the mathematics of zero. That reminds me of the film Zero Theorem. And you know what the film Zero Theorem is? A film. And you know what else yes. is a film? Brazil. I tried. The recorder's on. Tried. I tried. Oh, good. We're halfway done with the episode, then. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, Madness Moxie, and tonight, a trip to movie hell as I recap the 2019 Hellboy reboot in another installment of our Tales from the Bop series. I'm your host, Cody, and joining today, me today are my Hellboy reboot virgin co-host, Mike. Say hello, Mike. Justice for Mr. Wink. And Jamie. I, too, have a surgery addiction. God, we're, we're 30 seconds into the show, and now I really just want to watch fucking Hellboy 1 and 2 again. And I just watched Hellboy last week. <laughs> and then Cody falls into a pile of sand. Uh, hey, I prepared for this by re-watching Blood and Iron. Wow, that was cheaper than I remembered. <laughs> so let me, before we really jump into recapping Hellboy, the reboot, slash The Rise of the Blood Queen... I think that subtitle was dropped before the movie actually hit theaters to make it more confusing. I, I, I want to paint a quick picture of the landscape this movie arrived into. Imagine it's March 8th, 2019. Captain Marvel debuts to $153 million and proceeds to make over a billion dollars worldwide over like the next month and a half. Jump forward a month. It's, it's now April 5th. Shazam comes out to $53.5 million and ends up making about $360 million worldwide, which is pretty good because people didn't expect Shazam to you know, be successful in the first place. But the movie was enjoyable, and it made box office bank. Not bad. Three weeks later, Avengers Endgame makes a billion goddamn dollars its opening weekend, and it's currently on pace to become the highest-grossing film of all time. So from March to May, we've had three pretty darn successful superhero films. Everything seems hunky-dory, but what's that? Sandwiched in between Shazam and Avengers is Hellboy, the remake, which premieres to $12 million opening weekend. Uh, I, I don't actually know how much money it's made overall to this point because Box Office Mojo has, for whatever reason, not reported any of the worldwide gross. It's been released worldwide, the money is just not showing up on their website, which is probably a very bad sign that the studio doesn't want to report those numbers. Oh, yeah. But uh, let's put it this way. It's a month into its run. Hellboy is pretty much out of theaters. The theater across the street from me is still playing Shazam, Captain Marvel, and Avengers right now. Those three movies are still in theaters. Hellboy has left, even though it came out after two of them. To this point, Hellboy has made in the U.S. $22 million. And that's about it. It's, it's mostly out of theaters. It'll probably make another million or two, I would guess, over the next few weeks and then pop up on Blu-ray at some random time. That's not even half of its production budget, which was something like $50, 53000000 million I've heard reported. And to add even more insult to the injury here, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, came out 2008 
and worldwide made $160 million. Yeah, it's not good. So I, I have to mention all this because it's one real sad scenario we've wandered into. Not only did we miss out on a third Guillermo del Toro entry, not only did we get a bad Hellboy reboot, spoilers, the new Hellboy is bad, uh, but it now seems likely that we're not going to get any more Hellboy on screen again. Maybe ever. I don't know. Maybe it'll be like two decades and someone will give it another shot. Or maybe it'll become a Netflix show. It's unlikely to be on a movie screen, though, which is such a shame. So without any further ado, I'm going to crack open a beer because I need it to get me through some Hellboy. Stay strong. What a sad statement. (sighs) Now I just want to drink. I don't even want to talk. That was some top shelf Foley work there, Cody. You're getting good at that. You're getting good at drinking. <laughs> All these years of practice. Thanks, Point, Beach Pilot, Strawberry Wheat Ale, Seasonal Brew. Oh, I, I take it back. There is a little more to do before we get to the movie. Ah. Let's just do a quick breakdown of Hellboy's comic origin and his lore. So, <laughs> you would think, sure. Hellboy, are we a fucking Watch Mojo video now? <laughs> the Rise, fuck? Yes. Hellboy is a comic piloted by one dude it's artist and writer mike mignola sometimes he doesn't do the art but he's always the writer and he guides this whole franchise i'm gonna be uh, honest most of the time he doesn't do the art he started out real strong he uh, he took off for a little while but he came back for hellboy in hell uh he, he's been in and out anyways this was the thing that popped up in the 90s and mignola's been driving it the whole time so it doesn't have like decades of existing continuity or shared universes it has to worry about it's its own product driven by one man you would think it would have a very simple and straightforward background mythology. Mignola himself likes to describe Hellboy in pretty simple terms. He's just a blue-collar worker whose job just happens to be killing monsters. But the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yes, pun intended. Boom. At first envisioned as a pulp character who would jump from various supernatural adventures, Hellboy really has morphed into a slow-churning battle against fate steeped in deep and confusing mythology. So when he was first introduced, Hellboy was a demon summoned to Earth by a Nazi-backed experiment into the occult designed to end World War II. Simple, right? This gets more complicated. A later story would reveal that Hellboy wasn't just a demon. His mother had been a witch who pledged herself to a demon. Upon her death, the demon claimed her, took her to hell, and she bore that demon a son. Rasputin, the mad monk, would bring Hellboy to Earth with the intention of using him to reboot the world. Rasputin believed that Hellboy's right hand was actually a key that could awaken a cosmic monster known as the Agdru Jihad, and that the Jihad would incinerate the world, causing a superior version of mankind to be reborn from the ashes. Simple, right? Everyone's with me. Various groups have tried to take the right hand from Hellboy, either to hasten the end of the world or in an effort to protect the world. It's been said that if Hellboy dies, his death will taint the hand, so he either needs to be convinced to destroy the world, or the hand must be taken from him while preserving his health mythology behind the right hand of doom is also a doozy. When the world was created, guardian spirits, pretty much angels, were sent to Earth to watch over its development. One of the spirits went rogue, creating the Agru Jihad. Uh, After the Watcher created the Jihad, the other angels kind of forced him into sealing it away in a cocoon deep in space where it still slumbers. The other spirits then destroyed that spirit, ripping him into pieces, but only leaving his right hand behind, which would become the right hand of doom, which was passed down and protected by various tribes of the world until somehow Hellboy's demon father took possession of that part and stuck it onto his newborn demon son as his right hand. Everyone's following, right? This is this is all very straightforward plotting. I've gone cross-eyed. I've gone cross-eyed. God Perfect. damn it. Okay. You owe uh, me a confusion, Coke. 
this right hand is basically a key that can unlock the cocoon that the Jihad is trapped in right now so they can destroy the universe. Uh, also, Hellboy has an invisible crown that he wears at all times that gives him dominion over the forces of hell. Uh, at one point, this crown was stolen by another demon. Hellboy killed that demon, and he gave that crown to his uncle for safekeeping back in hell. Uh, his uncle is basically holding on to it so Hellboy can one day go down into hell, claim the crown, and lead the forces of hell over Earth. Ah, uh, boy. And if that's not enough, a later comic revealed that Hellboy's mother was actually the last descendant of King Arthur, and that Hellboy is the rightful heir of England. So did you get all that? Hellboy has a crown that gives him dominion over hell. He has a magic right hand that can awaken uh, a seven-bodied dragon that can destroy the cosmos. Um, oh, and he can wield Excalibur. He's also the rightful king of England. That's not true of most of us, though. And people say that cable is too complicated. <laughs> we can wield Excalibur and we're king of England, or that we're as complicated as cable deep down in our hearts. Regardless, I, I'm a, I consider myself a big Hellboy fan, and when I had to write that out, I had to fucking go on Wikipedia to get all my facts straight because I couldn't remember all the crazy shit Magnolia's been slowly tossing into the Hellboy backstory canon. So was that confusing? Was that a lot of shit to to go over in like five minutes? Uh, that was know. rhetorical. You don't actually have to answer. Okay, I was, I was waiting for you to answer so I could tell you to not answer. Now imagine if instead of me like standing on a box screaming that at people on the street trying to explain Hellboy, imagine that was a movie script, and that someone tried to film all of that, put a bunch of fight scenes in it, and and pack it into a two hour stretch with needle drops. With the needle drops. This is Hellboy, the Rise of the Blood Queen, slash Hellboy, the reboot, slash just Hellboy, because they wanted to confuse people. Jesus fucking Christ, guys, this movie has so much shit packed into it. It's... <laughs> and they still have time for Lobster Johnson. Somehow, uh, you know in The Simpsons, there's the classic joke of Mr. Burns thinking he's immortal because he has all the diseases and they have essentially balance themselves out. The doctor <laughs> describes this as like a syndrome where the diseases can't get through a door because they're blocking each other. That That's Hellboy. None of the ideas stick in your mind because there's 30 of them and they're all trying to plow into your eyeballs at the same time. There's something I thought to myself while thinking about the very, very complicated plot to this movie <laughs> that I've read descriptions of. Doesn't this sound like the plot of a Hellboy video game and not a movie? I can see it being a Hellboy video game. Like, it sounds like if you tried to film Arkham City. The crazy <laughs> thing is, everything that's really going on here is essentially cribbed from the comics. They're, they're going through like darkness calls and like Hellboy. Nah, it doesn't get to Hellboy in Hell, but it, it goes through with, like a ton of them. The Wild Hunt it, it has a ton of Hellboy lore straight from the canon and is somehow presented in a way that doesn't feel like Hellboy whatsoever. It's kind of astonishing. People complained about Del Toro's Hellboy not feeling like Hellboy. And I would argue he threw the plot out from Magnola. He didn't take any of that, but he took the feeling and emotions of that story. Whereas this one takes the plot and throws out the emotion. If you could somehow combine these two, you would have a very faithful retelling of Hellboy. This will never happen. That way to raise our thought. hopes and then dash them immediately. Good. <laughs> All that aside, let's actually get into the movie. Finally, no more, no more segues. We're actually going to talk about what happens on film here. Yay. Let's get into the full snowman. Hellboy opens with pretty much no ceremony. There's just no time. 
you get Ian McShane giving us a voiceover about the world being on the brink of destruction in like 500 AD. King Arthur has come to a peace treaty with the Blood Queen. Uh, Merlin is there just hanging out. The human forces have come to actually betray the Blood Queen. Uh, and, and this is all kind of shown in like a montage of King Arthur like riding up a hill. In, it, it, it's shown as King Arthur pulls out Excalibur and slices the Blood Queen's arm off and then her head. And somehow the narration says that it's actually Merlin and the Blood Queen who has set up this betrayal. But the movie's moving too fast to even like tell you who the hell the Blood Queen's sister is or what Merlin has done. Okay, I, I don't want to interrupt you this early, but I am. But this is eerily similar to the beginning of The Mummy already. <laughs> yes. I feel like the, the uh, Knights Templar are going to show up and then we're going to just cut to England. Oh, you're very close. <laughs> Uh, we do go to England, but not for another couple of minutes. Uh, because, like, a, a, like a whole movie is just missing here. This this is essentially like watching Army of Darkness and seeing the Evil Dead recap. Like, it really feels like they just threw out an entire film about the Blood Queen, and they had to patch it together through, like, 30 seconds of used footage. Also, the voiceover from McShane tells us that the Blood Queen can only be harmed by Arthur's magic sword. It's the only earthly weapon that can hurt her. And that even though she's been chopped into pieces, she's still alive and that her body has been buried all over the world to keep her from coming back to power. Also, all over the world means like apparently the world of 500 AD. So they're just in different corners of England like that. That one island, not, it, not even it, like, it was hard to get around back then. They, they did it by horse. You know, they, they put the body in caskets and they just kind of dragged around with different horses. So with that narration done, I also have no idea. This this narration doesn't make sense with the story. Um, I'm going to ruin the surprise right now. McShane dies. He does not make it through the story. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They kill Professor Do Professor Broom a second time. They do. They wait till the end of the movie this time though. Uh, so he, McShane Broom in this movie doesn't actually know the story of like the blood queen. He has to go to a library and research it for a while and they don't really find their answers. So I don't know when he found all this information out and then decided to narrate to the audience what was happening, unless his ghost is doing this from the afterlife. <laughs> I guess so. So anyways, after all of that, we move to the present day. Hellboy is arguing with Professor Broom over a smartphone as he drives through Tijuana. Oh boy, reboot. We're doing Hellboy in Mexico. They decided to jump into that story. Uh, he's supposed to call Broom back after finding a missing BPRD agent. Uh, Hellboy and Broom argue because Hellboy has caused trouble in Mexico before, and, well, he's probably going to do it again. Uh, this starts a running joke where Hellboy ha can't hang up the phone, so he, he brings his right hand of doom finger down on the smartphone and destroys it while trying to end the call. This movie is actually filled with, like, second unit inserting visual jokes to try and add levity. I'm confused. He has a human hand with fingers. Oh, they'll get to that later. Anyways, Hellboy quickly finds the missing agent, who is now a luchador wrestler. Uh, Hellboy is wearing a hoodie because he's supposed to be kind of undercover, I guess. He's not trying very hard. Uh, Hellboy's old missing agent friend recognizes Hellboy and challenges him to a wrestling match. Hellboy eventually gets into the ring, takes off his hoodie, and the crowd is kind of like, Oh, it's Hellboy! They're, they're like, kind of shocked. But I guess it'd be like if, if you were just hanging out in your bar and all of a sudden, like... Brad Pitt just walked in like, oh, what the fuck? That's weird. Cool. And wrestled a luchador. And wrestled a luchador. Uh, also, the luchador turns into a vampire monster and is apparently there to actually kill Hellboy. I, I, it's a reverse trap that doesn't make a lot of sense. 
The crowd panics, runs, Hellboy tries to not kill the agent, but eventually he gets so mad he just impales the guy on a turnstile and murders him. Uh, the agent transforms back into the man that Hellboy knew, and before he dies, he, he tells Hellboy that the end is upon them. Hellboy's pretty bummed out about this. We then cut to Grugak, who is a giant pigman monster pulled directly from the comics. He is talking to a witch who promises to help him get revenge on Hellboy if he resuscitates the Blood Queen. Uh, he's actually talking to the Baba Yaga, also pulled from the comics. There's no introduction here. We just cut to a pig man talking to a horrifying Russian witch. <laughs> and he hints at having a lot of backstory that they're like, we'll get to it later. Don't worry. Uh, okay, I'm curious. What's the timestamp at this point? <laughs> How far are we into it? I don't know. Probably like five minutes. Oh, good. And we're already in full, let's just do panels from the comics randomly. Kind of, Yeah. So anyways, Grugak leaves to start gathering the body parts of the Blood Queen. Uh, there are scenes interspersed over like the next 30 minutes of the movie of him getting these pieces, and my mind can't staple into the story exactly where they belong. It's all a blur. Everything's moving so quickly that I, I honestly could not tell you when they happen. So I'm just going to try and recap them all as one block. Uh, Grugak invades a church where all the monks have taken a vow of silence. He murders all the monks but one, who is a coward. Uh, he then forces that monk to show him where the Blood Queen's body is buried. The monk leads him into a basement where there's an iron-bound box holding the head of the Blood Queen. Turns out Rugash can't... I'm going to say his name 40 different ways. Just I'm going to say the pig man. The pig I've been man enjoying the change-ups. I don't know how to do it correctly. I don't know how to say any of these goddamn names. And I, oh, I love it, the comments. Any Mignola name is pronounceable up to seven different ways. Uh, let's put it this way. Uh, Mia Ihovovich, she's playing the Blood Queen. She has a real name. It's Vivian Nimua? Nimue? N-I-M-U-E. I know I'm saying this dumb. That's why I'm just going to call her the Blood Queen for the rest of time. <laughs> and it's Jovovich, that actress whose name just has no proper pronunciation. <laughs> uh, Trevor Broom, his last name is spelled Brutenholm. Like, none of these make sense. <laughs> I... Daniel Kim's playing a character who I really like, but I, can't... I don't know how to say his name. Ben Diamo? Daimo? I, I Demio, saw the movie. They I said Demio. So that was whatever fucking leopard man. Whatever. He's Asian. I'm going to break this down into the stupidest terms because that's how I perceive the movie. Just call him Ed Screens. There we go. <laughs> Anyways, Pigman touches the box and then realizes that it's iron, so he's hurting himself. Uh, so he commands the monk to open the box for him since only a holy tongue can open it. The monk refuses, so the pig man just rips off the monk's jaw, eats it, and then that gives him the ability to use the dead monk's voice to open the box. Which is kind of a fun horror sequence, although a little silly. Like, why did he keep this guy alive when he could have just ripped off his tongue in the first place? Once that's Stuff. done, reasons. pig man assembles the blood queen in a small cottage. Uh, all of her body parts are lined up as if she were sitting on a recliner, even though the body parts aren't really attached. Her severed arm is clicking through TV channels. She's seeing, like, the British version of American Idol, and she, she just mocks the world she sees, lamenting that it's all singing competitions. Uh, Blood Queen, what are you doing? Learning! <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, she then asks Grugarch to, to just fetch her final missing piece. I don't know why we need a scene of her telling him, like, hey, I, I kind of need all my limbs to be complete, but we have a scene where she watches shitty television and yells at her henchmen to go get more body parts. We cut back to Hellboy, who still feels really bad about his missing partner being a vampire and being murdered by him. So he goes to a bar in Tijuana and gets drunk on tequila. So he's just passed out at a bar. The BPRD swings by to pick him up and forces him to return to headquarters in Colorado. Uh, I think we spend one scene 
in the BPRD headquarters in Colorado and then never return there. We have like 40 different locations in this movie and very rarely do we return to any of them for more than like a scene. Anyways, you know they really stuck to the whole we're gonna do a small scale, low budget horror film idea. Oh god, they want to rush through everything and see half the world. It's amazing. For I, I have to give it to them for a budget of fifty million dollars. This is one of the most ambitious things I've ever seen. Marshall so, knows how to stretch some money. Yeah, I mean the CGI looks pretty bad, but whatever. Assuming he directed, I don't know at this point. It's yeah, he did say. leave for like. A significant period of time to just hang out with his girlfriend. Uh, that's how that production was going. Reportedly, he came back in time for filming to kick back up. So, <laughs> who knows? He also Anyways. refuses to promote this film. I just feel like we should say that. Probably the yeah. smart choice. Yeah, like this movie. This episode is dunking on this movie considerably. We should say we don't blame really anyone who was actually making this film, like Marshall and Harbor and everyone involved seem to have their hearts in the right place and really did want to deliver a cool, low-budget horror film, but somewhere between it getting green light and it being released, it became The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. Things went stray. Awry. So, at this point, we're now in Colorado. Professor Broom actually walks on screen for the first time, uh, and he helps Hellboy trim his horns because... Look, if you're trying to separate yourself from Guillermo del Toro's version of fucking Hellboy, why would you do the horns again? Like, we don't That's need a strange. horn shaving scene. It's just going to make you think of Hellboy, del Toro style. Anyways, well, well, he's shaving Hellboy's horns for him. He tries to shore up some relationship issues he has with Hellboy. Basically, Hellboy is a petulant child in this version of the film. Like, he's just an asshole all the way through. It's supposed to be like he's a child and he's growing up becoming a man throughout the movie, but... He just comes off as a dick. Anyways, Broom tells Hellboy that he's been requested to help a secret order, the Osiris Club, also from the comics, kill a trio of giants rampaging through England. Hellboy goes, but upon arrival, he acts like a dick to all the members like he's being forced to be here and he doesn't like any of them. This is like they welcome into him into their fancy club. They're all wearing tuxedos. It's very old, worldly, hidden mystery club. And Hellboy just walks in. And he's like, ah, fuck this. Fuck you guys. Oh, this is stupid. It's very unusual. These men, at this point, are being very kind to Hellboy, and Hellboy is just fucking jacking off in front of them. It's pretty much everything I've heard about this version of Hellboy. They don't play him blue-collar. They play him as just a dick, which is very, very baffling. That's it. He's just a dick, which Ron Perlman did at points, too, in his version of Hellboy, but he also had, like, lovable moments as well. Yeah. Like, he was just kind of a crude, immature dude. This one's an asshole. There's, there's, there's a line, and they crossed it. He just sounds like the Punisher. Yeah. So anyways, the Osiris Club is unloading exposition. Uh, they lead Hellboy to a secret chamber with the mounted heads of several giants. A blind medium walks in and informs Hellboy of his origin. <laughs> she just literally walks in. And she's like, hey, let me tell you some stuff about your past you just never knew until now. I don't, I don't know why she does this. It doesn't line up with anything else that's really happening. Uh, so she walks in and she says, back at the end of World War II, this is a flashback, mind you. Uh, at the end of World War II, Rasputin and the Nazis tried to summon occult powers to turn the tide of the war. Rasputin opens a portal to hell, but American forces jump in and shoot all the Nazis. A couple of important things to note here. This is essentially a low-rent version of the origin story we see in the first Hellboy. Like, we have a rainy island uh, in, in like the middle of the Irish Sea, but instead of this being like a giant church city that's fallen into ruins and there's cool mystery equipment, this is like a tiny tiny room outside 
There's there's a Nazi wearing 3D glasses. Uh, Rasputin's there, but I don't think he has any lines in the movie. Uh, and when the American forces break in and shoot everyone, the medium says, and the famous Nazi killer Lobster Johnson led the charge. And he just shows up. Lobster Johnson. <laughs> if you're not familiar with comics, Lobster Johnson was uh, a pulp hero in the Hellboy universe in like the 40s and stuff. He wears all black leather. He he wears like flight goggles and he shoots Nazis with no hesitation. He also has uh, a symbol of a lobster on his, his hand that he burns into the skulls of Nazis after he murders them or while he's murdering them. He's a wacky character. This movie just says, also, Lobster Johnson was there. And we see Thomas Hayden Church just, like, fucking shout out a couple lines about vengeance, shoot a couple people, and then leave the movie for the rest of the time. I feel like this movie should have the VH1 music video factoid bubbles popping. <laughs> just to fill in the audience. I will also, say, I... totally worth it, though, just to get randomly Thomas Hayden Church as Lobster Johnson. It's fa- there's no reason for nominated him to- actor. <laughs> there's no reason for him to be in this scene. He just shows up and shoots like three people in the head and burns one guy with the lobster symbol. And and that's his entire involvement in the film. He just vanishes after that. He doesn't set oh. up anything. There's no plot points connected to him. He's just there because they had to mention him by name. Is it made Mike Mignola happy? Pretty much. Also, I have been obsessed since the last trailer with the fact that when filming the origin scene in the original Hellboy, Del Toro decided to remove Von Krupp's swastika monocle because he knew, even for Hellboy, that was a bit much to show on screen. And in this movie, they're like, no, fucking swastika 3D glasses. Yeah! Krupp yeah. is there with swastika 3D glasses. There's a like cosplayer version of Cronin here. It, it, <laughs> it ain't good. So anyways, this pretty much is cosplay the movie, isn't it? Yeah, so Rasputin opens the portal. A much burlier baby Hellboy crawls out instead of like the weird kind of cute baby version we got in Del Toro's version. Uh, Broom decides not to kill him then, which has put the members of the Osiris Club on edge since they've been waiting their entire existence for him to show up and end the world. So let's let's put all these facts together. Broom knows the Osiris Club for his whole life. He knows their mission has been to wait for Hellboy so they can murder him because he's going to signal the end of the world. Broom, who went against orders, and saved Hellboy, willingly sends Hellboy to go party with the Osiris Club so they can kill some giants, even though they've been killing giants by themselves for literally hundreds of years. Broom is somehow surprised when this doesn't work out well. I think it's obvious what's going on. Broom just wants Hellboy out of the picture. It might be that way. This is all a film noir plot to rev out Hellboy. Uh, So anyways, Hellboy and the Osiris Club go on the hunt. They find giant tracks, half-eaten farmers... Uh, Hellboy at, at one point asks, like, why the fuck do you need me? You've been killing giants for years. They say, oh, well, there's there's three of them this time. We normally only handle, like, two. <laughs> You've seen Troll Hunter. Yeah, so, <laughs> so Hellboy's like, all right, whatever. Uh, they ride around on horses. Uh, I should mention the members of the Osiris Club have, like, steampunk harpoons that are electric electrified. That's and kind of metal. metal backpacks they're wearing. It's, it's also pulled from, like, Hellboy comics, so they're, they're being truthful there. Uh, it seems a little silly, but why not? It, it's sure we can go with it. There's enough weird stuff happening in this movie, anyways. Uh, they lead Hellboy up to a bridge and say they'll hide there to attack the giants when they return. Hellboy says, "Hey, that's the perfect spot for an ambush." And then the leader of the Osiris Club goes, "Yes, that's what I thought," and stabs Hellboy in the back, which is, you know, everyone knew this was coming. Hellboy is an idiot for not realizing this is coming. 
Uh, oh, I forgot to mention, they specifically say these electric harpoons generate five times the power of the electric chair, so you know it's serious. Hellboy's been stabbed, he fights back, he kills a couple of the people before being knocked into the water, and he looks like he's out of it. You know, he's got spears sticking through his chest, he's kind of bleeding, he's, he's woozy. As the Osiris Club prepares for the final blow, though, the giants return, because that wasn't something they made up to get Hellboy there. There are actually giants running through the countryside that they just forgot to deal with. Uh, and then the giants murder everyone in the Osiris Club. This is going to start a trend in the movie where Hellboy doesn't actually finish a fight himself. <laughs> like He needs divine intervention from some other source to get him through every fight in this movie. Is it just me, or does it sound like we're perpetually moving through the first acts of several episodes of a Hellboy TV series? It feels like <laughs> it, yeah. Like, we're getting, like, this is the part in, in uh, CSI before they interview the first suspect over and over and over again. Uh, I will say, too, we have not met uh, two, at least two of our main characters of this movie yet. They still have to be introduced. We haven't gotten there yet to introduce our full cast. And wow. are we still in the first half hour? Oh, God, I hope not. I don't, I honestly don't remember. This movie is two hours long. There's so many things happening. I can't sparse out how it all works. Right. So, 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 going back. Hellboy is passed out. He has spears through him. The Osiris Club is dead. The Giants wiped everyone out. When he wakes up, he pulls the spears out of his body and then immediately gets into the fight with the Giants. Uh, boy. One of the most memorable parts of Hellboy 2 for me is when the giant plant monster is attacking the city. And the bad guy goes up to Hellboy and he's like, hey, why are you defending people? They're mean to you. And this, is, this monster is the last of its kind. If you kill it, there's no more. You're making it go extinct. And it's, it's like a kind of gut-wrenching moment when Hellboy is forced to kill this monster to protect human beings that hate him. Like, it's, it's emotional. In the comic books, when Hellboy goes into a rage and kills these giants, he, like, freaks out because he went full devil to, to do this. Like, it's not a moment of triumph. Hellboy freaks out, like, oh god, I lost control and I just slaughtered these creatures. In this movie, Hellboy makes a couple of jokes about all the dead people that the giants have been eating, making the giants' breath smell bad. And then they play a Muse song in the background. Uh, Psycho, if anyone's curious. Hey. <laughs> Hellboy runs around beating the shit out of these giants and stabbing their faces apart. Uh, also, the, the theme of this movie is partially that Hellboy hates having to kill monsters since he is one, and he feels like the world doesn't accept and love him. Pretty much the theme to El every Hellboy. Here, though, he's like pretty gleefully butchering all of these giants. It's, it's very odd. I've also heard some rumors that this was apparently originally filmed as like a nine minute long one shot. And then the editors were forced to cut it down into a three minute montage, which kind of shows because the action's a little choppy and it's, it's, it's a weird scene. Why they have Thank to cut God it down? They didn't do anything interesting with it. So anyways, all the giants are dead. At this point, Hellboy remembers that he's been impaled like two minutes earlier uh, <laughs> and he passes out. <laughs> It's very weird. He's just going full tilt, destroying giants, like running up their arms like it's Shadow of the Colossus and stabbing them with their swords. He's getting knocked across valleys and stuff. As soon as the action is done, he's like, oh, right, I should be dead. And then he passes out, but not before he notices a van driving through a field that just happens to know he's there. Uh, before he passes out, he also has time to joke about that not being his Uber, because that's, that's a great way to date the movie. Wow. Crickets. Yep. Hellboy then wakes up in a small apartment. A young woman tells him that his breakfast is ready and that he owes her 300 quid for the van she rented. Hellboy doesn't know who she is. After some back and forth, uh, he eventually realizes this is Alice, the grown-up child he rescued from fairies 20 years ago. 
has a sense you just said. This isn't something the movie tells us beforehand. This character just shows up. She's going to be here for the rest of the movie. She's one of the main characters. And then she also shows up and she's like, hey, remember all that backstory? That involved backstory that could be its own movie? That was its own comic book? Yeah, that. Apparently, this experience left Alice with psychic powers, and uh, she earns a living talking to the dead as a medium. Uh, the dead have told her that she should kill Hellboy, and she threatens to shoot him with a shotgun she has taped underneath her table that's filled with crushed angel bones. Uh, she doesn't actually have any intention of doing this, other than to just like freak Hellboy out, because Hellboy's nervous that this will actually work, so he kind of panics. Then she tells Hellboy to get under a table, he does, and he asks why, and she's like, to protect from the glass, and all the glass in her apartment shatters as a SWAT team barges into the house. Before we get too far away, you know how I mentioned all that backstory uh, that Alice brings up, that she was you know, a child that Hellboy saved from being kidnapped by fairies 20 years in the past? We'll actually get to that fucking expository stuff later. The pig man <laughs> will explain that all later in the film. We actually get a flashback that goes through that whole fucking story. They already the pig the- man knows all! We already had this explained to us through dialogue in like 30 seconds, and now they have to be like, what if we spent three minutes doing it as a flashback at the end of our movie? No, we have to jerk Magnola off more. Uh, Anyways, yeah, so a SWAT team has stormed into this apartment. Hellboy beats one guy to a fucking pulp before Broom walks in, and he's like, hey, it's it's, it's actually us. We're just the BPRD. We're we're here, man. Which seems like a terrible way about this. I don't know why he doesn't just knock on the door and be like, hey, it's your dad. (laughs) This poor SWAT guy probably is dead. Like, Hellboy just fucking hammers him. Anyways, uh, Hellboy is supposed to team up with the British Special Forces unit that's uh, being headed by Ben Diamo. Diamo? Jaguar man. Spoilers, he's a Jaguar man. Ed Screens. Ed Screens. Uh, his main feature is he is a dude with big scars on half his face. The rest of his unit isn't introduced. We never meet them. They're background fodder. They don't matter in the slightest. None of them have lines. They're, they're not people. <laughs> Jaguar Man and Hellboy introduce each other by basically trading barbs about how ugly and monstrous they the other is. They they hate each other. Their their interaction is it's good to meet you, you piece of shit. So we we instantly don't like either of these two people. Jaguar Man will also be our third main character for the remainder of the movie, <laughs> which is Thank frustrating God. because in the comics he is a rough but like interesting, mysterious, kind of lovable team leader that's introduced in the BPRD stuff. It's weird i i don't really care for what they did to the character in the film anyways daimo hellboy and alice return to the osiris club alice freaks out because she can sense the screaming of the dead giving her a psychic headache this basically paralyzes her hellboy tells her she should stay behind in the van while he checks the scene out i don't know why they did this because 20 seconds later she runs in front of hellboy and tells everyone to hurry into the building and help out so the the psychic headache thing just stopped being a plot point probably 10 seconds after they introduced it. <laughs> Jesus everyone, Christ. Everyone's I'm exhausted to, already. Oh, God, we're like halfway through this movie. Uh, <laughs> they charge in finding all the remaining Osiris Club members are butchered. They're all dead. Uh, they follow a loud noise into the basement where Hellboy was before we discovered his origins, only to discover that the crystal ball, there was a crystal ball earlier that showed Hellboy some of his past. Uh, that crystal ball is now rolling around the basement they find the psychic who used the crystal ball to tell Hellboy's past. Uh, her neck has been crushed, but Hell says her spirit is nearby. So they basically do the thing from Hellboy 2 where Johan like, uses ectoplasm to reanimate the corpse. Uh, this one, they change it up a little bit. When Alice uses her powers to bring the psychic spirit back, uh, the spirit comes out of Alice's throat as a giant green booger man. So for some reason, your, your ectoplasmic ghost 
looks like you, except for you have like green skin and your hair looks like it's kind of green snot. You basically look like someone put a green snot texture over you, but didn't make you snot. Cool. It's kind of a janky effect. I don't know. They're, they're trying for something unique and it doesn't translate well. Uh, I honestly, in my notes, I just have written down the psychic doesn't say anything important. So I can't tell you what she said. Only I remember it has zero bearing on the plot. Anyways, uh, after, after her ghost goes away, Hellboy discovers the pigman is still walking around the Osiris Club carrying a box. So Hellboy beats him up, accidentally breaks the box open in the process, and outflops the last piece of the Blood Queen, her arm. Uh, Grugash picks it up and begs the Queen to save him, which she does. She just magically opens up a portal and appears in the basement. Uh, she appears. She says she isn't there as Hellboy's enemy. She tells him that she's... Uh, never seen a creature like him before, and they could do so much together. She's really trying to sell him on, like, hey, let's get married. I just met you, and this is crazy. Did I mention I'm Mila Jovovich? Yeah, Hellboy is really confused, because why wouldn't he be? Uh, Grugash vanishes, and then Hellboy has to explain everything he just saw to the other characters, because they needed to waste more screen time. So he literally just says, like, all the stuff that I just said. <sighs> then we go to another location. They go to a secret base in London that's disguised as a small fish and chips restaurant. Okay, I'm sorry, nobody is ever allowed to make fun of Zack Snyder and his many, many scene changes again. <laughs> I have yeah. whiplash already, and I'm just hearing about this. Oh, yeah. So anyways, they, they go to that restaurant. Uh, Dynamo says he has to leave. Hellboy is told he needs to present ID to get into the secret entrance, which <laughs> he gives a funny look, and the old gruff lady behind the counter isn't having it. Anyways, Dymo runs next door, which is also a secret weapons base. Apparently, all the weapons on all the, the, the stores on this block are secret British special forces bases. <laughs> he goes into this building. There's a monk in a basement that gives him a special bullet designed to kill Hellboy if he's shot in the brain or the heart with this bullet. What? what it's Logan now? Yes. Uh, we also get probably what I think is the funniest, unintentionally funniest part of the movie. Daimo mentions that he used to be an actuary, so he understands risk and risk appraisal. Like, so if you if you if you don't know anything about it, like uh, actuaries, they are the guys that figure out you know like insurance risk and if you know someone's worth having a policy or not. They're they're the brains behind the calculations of making insurance work. For some reason, Daimo was a math nerd apparently at one point before deciding he wanted to be British Special Forces. I like the idea of going. True, you're the right hand of doom, but. I'm an insurance man. I, it's it's weird they throw that line out there at all, because it just adds like 20 more pages of backstory to this character that for once they don't feel like exploring. I would have loved a dramatic cutaway to his time at Allstate. He's right. doing uh, paperwork so as a weird. Jaguar. Oh, he hasn't been... A, I, well, actually, they don't say when he comes to Jaguar, man. They show it, but I don't know when it falls on his timeline. Anyways, oh. Daimo says it'll have to be a heart shot that kills Hellboy because he's an idiot. His brain's too small to shoot. We then cut to Hellboy in the basement of the secret headquarters complaining about having to read books because they had too many words. <laughs> I like how this was supposed to be the version that was just the comic books and Hellboy is still dumb as shit. You know, that Hellboy who routinely would like quote Hamlet and <laughs> fucking Moby Dick while killing monsters. You know, That's that an 80 year old man. Also, in, in a little bit, we're going to get a flashback to Hellboy reading Alice in Wonderland or Alice with the Looking Glass. So, I, apparently, he just doesn't like nonfiction or historical books. Anyways, Broom asks him and Alice to go read several ancient tomes that contain references to the Blood Queen. At this point, Hellboy gets angry and starts another fight with Broom, wondering why Broom didn't kill him when he had the chance. 
saying it's wrong that all their encounters with the supernatural have to end in bloodshed. He's mad that Broom never told him his true childhood story. It's like every scene of Broom and Hellboy are basically just Hellboy getting mad and screaming at his dad for like five minutes until he storms out of the room. Awesome. Which he does here. Hellboy storms off uh, instead of reading the books that will probably tell him how to save the world. He gets into an elevator, but it drops him into a dream world vision. Uh, The elevator, instead of going up, Hellboy punches a bunch of time, but it plummets into a mythical basement. Uh, He wakes up and he's been summoned by the Baba Yaga we were introduced to earlier in, in the story, talking to the pigmen. I should say, it makes me so, so happy that, if nothing else, we got the fucking Baba Yaga in a Hollywood movie. My <laughs> favorite looks, monster ever. She looks a lot like Mason Verger from Hannibal. <laughs> she does. She really does. She's got like that plastic fake face thing going on. She still has the wind legs. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, they, she, she appears. She has her chicken-legged house here. In full CGI glory. Yeah. And like all washed out white Russia. She appears. They dump some exposition about how they already know each other and how she's so mad that he, Hellboy, shot her eye out while she was attempting to resurrect the corpse of Stalin. Uh, she offers him a deal that she'll tell him where the Blood Queen is if he'll give her one of his eyes in repayment. Hellboy agrees. Uh, it turns out that the Blood Queen needs to get her blood back from the tree where she was killed in 500 AD to return to full power. Uh, Hellboy has to get there before midnight so he can stop her. So there we go. Baba Yaga and Hellboy have made a deal, but, ho ho, sneaky Hellboy, he has refused to give up his eye, saying that the deal didn't specify when he had to give Baba his peeper. She's pissed. She lays a curse on him, saying that he will keep both his eyes so they can fully see his most loved ones die in front of him. Why do I get the feeling that this is not resolved in the movie? I mean, Hellboy never gives the eye away, but uh, he does see Broom die, so maybe that's the curse? I guess. I, don't know. I mean, in the comics, Hellboy actually does lose his eye to the Baba Yaga, so it's like a hint at what is supposed to come, and they're just doing like a sequel treat. Because <sighs> we are fully in the Amazing Spider-Man 2 territory now. Mm. Yeah. But anyways, Let's now we just have lay out the next eight Hellboy movies that are going to make our shareholders happy. These will definitely come true. Uh, oh, at this point, uh, actually, this could have been like anywhere in like the last ten scenes. I have no idea. Uh, Grugash and the Blood Queen are talking together. She asks why he's helping her, and we jump into a flashback. Hellboy is visiting a family that claims their child isn't right. Hellboy looks at the baby, then holds an iron horseshoe over it, causing the baby to mutate into a pig monster baby. It tries to escape, but Hellboy grabs it with a pair of iron tongs and forces it to agree to bring the real human baby back that it replaced. That baby was Alice. So, hey, there's there's your, your connection. Grugach was turned into a horrible pig monster for trying to replace Alice and now he's he's bitter about it because he could have pretended to live his entire life as a human and instead was cursed to live as a pig monster. So he's, he's just super, super mad about being a pig monster. Anyways, when that scene's done, Hellboy drops back into reality and, and literally drops like he falls into the conference room with Professor Broom and breaks the table they were at. So we're in fucking uh, Hudson Hawk territory now? Yeah. So the Hellboy I falls wish this was Hudson room. Hawk. Hudson Hawk be would nice. be so much better than this. <laughs> Hellboy falls into the room. He re-explains the situation in case we missed what we just heard. Uh, they all jump in a helicopter. Dymo explains his backstory to Alice then while they're flying. Because Hellboy doesn't want to talk to those guys. He's just hanging around in the back. So they, they, they bond. Uh, he was in Belize when his unit was attacked by a man-eater. A giant leopard creature killed all the men in his unit and left Dymo severely injured. And we, we get like 
a cosplay version of Predator where there's a leopard monster running through the jungle eating people. Anyways, Daimo, Alice, and Hellboy are trying to fly to this tree they need to reach, which apparently was also a point of contention during production. Like, the producers got involved because they didn't like the design of the tree. Which is fascinating because this tree is basically meaningless in terms of the movie. Like, we see it in the background a bunch, but it's not a remarkable tree. It's not interesting. It's not special. It's a meeting point for the other characters, and we forget about it as soon as the Blood Queen gets the blood from it. What is it with comic book movies and being obsessed with the designs of prop trees? I don't Ghost Rider had a very similar problem. It's so weird. Like, this tree, if I hadn't have heard those gossip stories, I never would have thought twice about the tree. It didn't matter. It was just a tree. <laughs> Anyways, yep. uh, these, these guys are in a military helicopter flying to the tree. We see it's on top of a hill. And we got kind of a weird shot where we can see the hill is, like, above a current-day shopping mall. Like, if you, if you walked to the bottom of the hill, you'd be in, like, the bottom of a Kmart or something. Apparently, they, they can't land by the tree, though, because it's on top of a hill and there's a forest around it. So they have to park the helicopter like miles away and try and run through the forest with no time left. Just uh, drop Hellboy out of the fucking helicopter. He'll survive. Right. They proved he's basically immortal. He got stabbed through the chest like eight times early in the film. It's fireproof. You're not. Uh, yeah. So instead, they all they all land in a clearing at the edge of the forest and they have to run up a mountain. Uh, Alice stops after like taking 10 steps and complains that she doesn't have the endurance of a superhero. Uh, you know, she's not a soldier or demon and they need to go on without her. Which really means they always kind of stand around for a second waiting for Alice to catch her breath so they can, you know, save the world. Which is a weird bit of reality to throw into a movie with demons Hold and monsters. Hold on, Hellboy, I have a stitch. Yes, that's literally what happens. She just stops running like, oh boy, runs real hard here. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. I just realized, did they do the fucking I twisted my ankle thing from like an 80s horror movie? <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's real dumb. So we cut... Real dumb. Hellboy 2019. Dumb. Anyways, uh, at the tree, the Blood Queen is already there. She's gathered an army of monsters. <laughs> she threw that shit before he wow. walked in the room. That was, yeah, she's, she's like, I need to get my well, shit together like her. Go Yovovich. While they're arguing about like how fast can we run through the forest without making people tired, she's already pulling the magic blood out of the tree and back into her body. <laughs> her shit is custom. This was like a fucking, I did it 30 minutes ago kind of thing it's it's ridiculous uh anyways her sister appears and gives the queen back her crown and begs for mercy because remember at the start of the movie they mentioned that her sister somehow nebulously betrayed the blood queen uh the the blood queen is mad and kills two out of the three sisters by like just gnarling them up in some real suspiria kind of shit but on a cgi budget but she lets the last sister who fuck i, I don't remember her name it's probably said like twice in the movie but i don't remember it Let's that last sister live because she's supposed to take Hellboy to the one who can unlock his potential. Back in the forest, zombies are not popping out of the ground. Blood Queen already has what she needs, but for some reason, she like decides to put shit in Hellboy's way. Like there's an obstacle course she decides to put there. So zombies are popping out of the ground. Uh, Alice tells Hellboy to keep going on without them and stop the Blood Queen. He runs off. She realizes that she can kill zombies by punching the ghosts out of them. <laughs> <laughs> so that one effect from Doctor Strange. Yes, exactly that. This is where the movie felt like it must have been filmed for 3D because she punches a zombie and its soul flies directly at the camera like it's it's daring you to go 3D. And he pulls out a yo-yo and slings it towards the audience. It's it's kind of stunning. I think Hellboy does the same kind of thing when he's killing giants. Like I think he points a spear right at the camera at one point. 
Anyways, they, they continue just punching the ghosts out of zombies and shooting them while Hellboy runs to the top of the hill. She's in the middle of a speech to rally her monster forces, but Hellboy pulls out his gun and shoots her, which stops her speech. Uh, the monsters see Hellboy and like, nah, fuck this, and all of them leave. This feels like it could be the end of the movie, but there is much more that has to happen. I feel like you're describing plot, the motion picture. <laughs> and we have so much more to go through. Anyways, it turns out shooting the Blood Queen doesn't hurt her because there's that whole part at the start of the movie saying she's only vulnerable to Excalibur. So she puts her head back together and, and she says Hellboy will join her even if she has to kill everyone he loves, which is not a great bargaining tactic. Like, I don't know any bad guy who's going to convince you to join his side by saying, hey, I'll murder everyone you love until you love me. I know, at least the mummy was like, you want some of this? Yeah. You gotta give the gold. Anyways, well, while she's making this really, really ineffective plea, she yanks a branch out of her crown. The crown is made of wood, by the way. Uh, she pulls a branch out of that crown and flicks it at Alice, because Alice ah, is just showing Yeah, Alice and Daimo just had finally shown up after Hellboy got there and shot her. And made very quick work out of the zombies. The splinter hits, hits Alice in the neck, the queen creates a portal, and vanishes. Hellboy grabs the witch sister and demands that she fix Alice, who is now like on the ground freaking out because the splinter has like, entered her neck and is murdering her. The witch says there's only one who can do it. We then cut to Hellboy and Daimo carrying a wounded Alice through a bunch of caves as we go to the grave of Merlin the wizard. No! You can't, you can't throw Merlin in there this late in the game. He's Merlin. Uh, it's, it's very weird because we had that scene where the Blood Queen's like, no, I have to leave you alive so you can lead Hellboy to his ultimate destiny. And apparently all that means is like, she had to be like, hey, go visit Merlin's grave, yo. Like, it's one line, we never see that character again. She doesn't lead them anywhere. We cut to them, like, fucking dragging Alice away. <laughs> that character's, like, whole existence could have been written out of the story and just had the Blood Queen been like, better talk to Merlin, boys, and then disappear in a portal. Anyone could have said it. They could, they could have had Broom call up on a cell phone and be like, hey, I found a book that said Merlin's important. Better, uh, better go to Merlin. Same effect. Be better yet, if you're in the Hellboy universe, just expect it to always go back to some King Arthur shit. Pretty much. That is also true. It's 50-50. Yeah. Like, whenever your hand is King Arthur bullshit, you should just assume. <laughs> so, they, they, they go to Merlin's grave and instantly find it. There's, they have no trouble locating this man. Like it's, snap your fingers and you're there kind of thing. And they open the grave and Merlin wakes up. Uh, apparently he's been cursed to be unable to die and he's just been buried in this slab of rock for last like 1500 years. So Merlin says he'll save Alice, but Hellboy has to promise he'll do everything he can to stop the Blood Queen. They shake hands on it. Merlin then removes the dart and brings up the sword in the stone from a pool that's in the same cave. Hellboy touches the sword, but has a vision of him using it to end the world. Like, he's riding a dragon and just, like, fucking using a flaming sword to cut people's heads off. Uh, Hellboy gets kind of freaked out, so he just stops touching the sword. Merlin then starts freaking out at him and yells at him for, like, two minutes because... Oh, my magic's used up! Oh, Morty, Morty, my magic! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he just tells him, like, he used the last of his magic to bring Hellboy the sword. And since Hellboy didn't take it in time, the sword goes back to where it belongs. And Merlin's like, hey, I'm just glad I don't get to see the end of the world. And he turns into dust and dies. <laughs> so that's, we get Merlin for about four minutes, half of which is him yelling at Hellboy for being an idiot. <laughs> okay, I'm about to say the most insulting thing I think I've ever said about a movie on this podcast. This sounds like a Max Landis script. Oof. Ouch. And I'm not, 
I'm not saying that facetiously to insult it. I mean, if you've ever read a description of Landis's Ghostbusters 3 script, it sounds exactly like this. <laughs> we're not done yet, though. We're, we're basically moving into the end game at this point. So, Alice is fine. Her, her ailment lasted all of, like, five minutes. Merlin's dead. Hellboy knows he has to get the sword, but it might end the world. Uh, the Blood Queen has her full powers. We, we have all the stakes set. So the Blood Queen is now walking around London, touching people and spreading a blood plague that instantly kills them. This is immediately made confusing because a newscast is saying that 100,000 people will be dead by the end of the day, and this plague is going to spread beyond the UK. I don't understand how a plague can spread when they show like she's physically touching people to spread it, and they die as soon as she touches them. Boop, 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 boop. I shall boop the world. I, I don't, it's not like someone gets it and they walk around coughing on other people for two minutes and then they die. It's just like, oh, my blood. And they drop over dead. Somehow, though, this, this plague is going to take over the world in like a day unless someone does something. She also it. mailed out anthrax. Maybe that was it. <laughs> that was her plan all along. That's like if the plot of Avengers was like, there's not going to be any portal uh, releasing the Chitari. We're just going to have Loki poke. Every single human being in the chest with that stuff. <laughs> One at a time. Get in line. <laughs> uh, somehow the Blood Queen also knows where the secret British hideout is that we were at earlier and Broom is still at. So she just walks in there. The woman who asked for Hellboy's ID gets her own action beat as she asks for the Blood Queen's ID and then pulls out a machine gun and shoots at her. Uh, it cuts away before we see what happens. But Isn't like, that just a scene from she, Captain America, the first Avenger? Yes. Uh, okay. She dead. We, we know she's dead, though. Uh, so the Blood Queen off-camera basically just wrecks the place and kills everyone. Dynamo gets a cool. notice that the headquarters has been attacked. They all get back in their helicopter, and they return to London to confirm that, yes, everyone is, in fact, dead. Broom is missing. He's the only one not dead. Uh, Alice confirms that Broom is alive since she would know, since she's a psychic, and he's, like, the one soul she can't feel in the room. Uh, honestly, here my notes get confusing. I, I think I just wrote down, I don't know what happens in the next beat. So the next thing I know, they're they're at a church. Now they're in a church. Uh, Grugash walks out. Hellboy's at this church. And the Blood Queen's already there doing her thing. The pig man walks out. He's now bigger. He fights Hellboy. Uh, Daimo immediately gets trapped under a block of rubble. And he tells Alice to leave since she's useless at fighting. Uh, oh, boy. I missed a vital detail here. Throughout the entire movie, uh, Daimo's been injecting himself with Dr. Jekyll medication. <laughs> You gotta stop watching like, movies like this, man. You're gonna break your like brain. He just keeps injecting himself with his special medicine, so we know, like, at some point, he's gonna transform into a monster. I'm sorry, Cody. No more horrifying physical transformations for you. It has not ended well. Yeah, I'm sorry. I totally spaced this one. So anyways, at this point, uh, he's underneath all that rubble, and he throws his medicine away and transforms into a big old jaguar man. He's pretty much just a jaguar, like a CGI jaguar, not, like, man-shaped at all. And saves Hellboy because Hellboy's getting his ass kicked by the pig man. As the jaguar flies in, it distracts the pig guy for a second. Uh, Hellboy gets in a couple of punches, but this proves to be pointless because uh, Grugash eventually knocks Daimo around enough that he's passed out again. So he's out of this fight twice. Grugash goes back to beating up Hellboy, uh, but then the Blood Queen shows up and she's like, Hey, no, nah, man, I didn't actually want you to win. Uh, Grugash complains that he was promised ultimate power. She says she gave it to him. For a minute, though, not like forever, and she's kind of sorry about that. But like, she she delivered on her end of the deal. Uh, she then shrinks him down to baby size, and he shouts out "fuck you," and then it explodes like a, a bloody tumor. 
So what? That's, that's the end oh, of Kugash. Uh, the Blood Queen. The Blood Queen shrinks him back into a tiny pig baby, and then he explodes like it's Mortal Kombat. Sure. I mean, I appreciate the babality, but to what end? And she, she had to allow him to be an all-powerful pig monster so he could beat up Hellboy a little bit. But she doesn't want Hellboy dead, so I, I, yeah, that checks out. <sighs> Where was if, I? If only you could hear the crickets sounding off in my brain right now. Uh, to borrow an expression from Joe Bob Briggs, there is so much plot getting in the way of the story here. We're almost done, I swear. Now, you have not mentioned a single story beat in this entire description. I'm just seeing stage direction. Yeah, well, that's fair. Right, so, so back to stage direction. The Blood Queen knocks Hellboy through the ground, and he lands right next to the secret burial ground of King Arthur and Excalibur. So remember that like one scene ago when he was in the cave with Merlin, Merlin's like, you idiot, we'll never find the sword now. Mankind's doomed. The blood queen, like one scene later, knocks him into the sword and is like, hey, man, come on, please use the sword. Thank God Lois Lane fished it out of that mansion lake. <laughs> yeah. So she, she tells Hellboy to grab the sword and kill her, which Hellboy is like, no, why? What? No. Why, why would I ever do what the bad guy tells me to do? So the Blood Queen then summons Broom out of nowhere and just murders him right there. She just kills him. This makes Hellboy bad enough that he mad enough that he picks up the sword. <laughs> so good, good work, Hellboy. Once he grabs it, though, we see cracks open up all around London and demons pop up. Uh, they immediately start grabbing people and ripping them apart. And this is where the movie gets its R rating. Like they decided this has to be all the gore of the film. So like faces are being pulled off of people, arms are being ripped off. Some guy gets like torn in half by a winged demon. It's it's weird though, because literally 10 minutes ago, there was a news broadcast saying there's a blood plague killing everyone in London. And yet there's like businessmen walking around London that get ripped apart by these demons. Like they like, fuck, I got business. I don't care about blood plagues. I have to be a business. I don't know. That sounds <laughs> like London. I have an appointment at the business store. Like, when these demons come out, there is no hint that there's a pandemic happening that could end the world. <laughs> there's... Ah, whatever. People are still hanging out in the streets. Well, I guess yeah, that sounds more like Japan. <laughs> oh, sarin gas. Time to take the subway. <laughs> so we got back to the church after all these people have been explicitly murdered to earn the film an R rating. Oh, shit. Guys, I keep forgetting important details. You know how I mentioned before there was a running joke about Hellboy breaking phones? When he gets picked up with Alice... Uh, he has to, like, make a phone call, and there's this really obnoxious second unit shot of Hellboy's normal hand trying to turn his phone off, but it's not recognizing his finger. And eventually he taps it too hard, and the entire screen bursts, and you just hear David Harbour off screen going, Oh, crap! It's it's the most, like, hey, we filmed this ten months after the movie finished shot I've ever seen in my life. Hilarious. I, I, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to bring that up, because it's the most important part of the film. <laughs> right, where were we? Okay, the Hellboy's going That's full demon mode. That's a good fucking Modi's. question, man. I Hellboy's, just... Hellboy's holding a flaming scalper. His his horns have grown fully out, like he's in full demon mode. The Blood Queen kneels before him and asks him to bring the apocalypse to the world. Daimo at this point is like, "Oh shit, I, I have a special Hellboy killing gun. I should use this." Uh, so Shoot he, him in the head with that adamantium bullet. He he starts aiming at Hellboy. Alice though interrupts and uses her powers to bring back Professor Broom's spirit. Uh, so Booger Broom appears in Hell's Hellboy to stop being a whiny little boy and nut up. I'm, I'm not like even really paraphrasing. Ian McShane basically pops up and tells Hellboy to nut up and stop being a little bitch. Awesome. That's that's the pep talk they have. Like, I trusted you to be a man, Hellboy. 
so Hellboy like takes the speech in stride, decapitates the Blood Queen. Daimo sees this and he's like, oh, he's not such a bad guy after all, and puts the gun away. And Thank God the- he murdered someone. He, yeah, he breaks the bullet apart and spreads the, the special ashes on the ground so that he can never be tempted to murder Hellboy again. <laughs> As we all do. I like the idea of somebody's character arc in a film being, it turns out I didn't have to murder Hellboy at all. That was it. He turned good after all. Uh, oh, right. Booger Broom is still there. Booger Broom sees all this. Um, Hellboy says he's not ready for Broom to go. Broom says that he is. Hellboy picks up the severed Blood Queen's head. She's still alive. And she's like, ah, oh, this isn't over. And they'll be side by side at the last day of the world. And Hellboy, I swear to God, this is an actual part of the film, walks over to a pit in the ground that leads to hell and says, you should have quit while you were ahead. And then it drops her head down that crack into hell. Bye, book. Uh, it's it's like they took an Arnold Schwarzenegger one line from Commando and said, this still works, right? What so, in the name of fuck? Once, once the Blood leave Queen's my head... head alo- leave my friend alone. He's dead tired. Thomas Jefferson, remember when I promised to kill you last? I lied. Anyways, this, this is the magic trick. This seals uh, the cracks from hell back up. Uh, the demons are all sucked back into hell. Everything's peachy. The movie is not done. Because... We get a sign that says six months later. Hellboy is now in Siberia with Alice, who's just part of his supernatural BPRD team. And they're going through uh, some sort of wacky science facility. Diamo pops up and Hellboy freaks out. He, he jump scares himself and then he complains about Diamo scaring him, which is a really weird scene. Like just Hellboy is still a knob at the end of this movie bitching about like, oh, I got scared. I, I don't understand why they included it. It's, it's supposed to be funny, I guess. Remember the scene in the first Hellboy film where Ron Perlman as Hellboy in uh in full makeup uh, with his shirt removed uh tells Liz that he understands the pain and self-hatred she feels as someone who's different from what society considers normal but the thing that will always unite them is that he will never ever give up on her and in that moment Liz realizes that Hellboy is the man she's always been waiting for and their relationship is solidified forever these two are in it for the long haul why don't you nut up Hellboy be a man hell man not hell baby what a, what a horrible ways to exchange <laughs> anyways anyways at this point Hellboy tells Daimo to turn back into a jaguar so they can kill some people and Daimo says it doesn't work like that. So Hellboy punches him twice, and then he turns into a cat guy. And they do exactly what they said. They kill a bunch of people in a very low-rent Guy Ritchie shootout scene set to rock you like a hurricane. Are you fucking serious? Rock you like uh, a hurricane? Oh. Okay, okay. So they I'm actually, run out of music? My notes were a little confused here. I wrote rock you like a hurricane slash maybe Alice Cooper song because they're both in there. There was an Alice Cooper song at one point and there was Rocky like a hurricane, both in action beats. And I can't remember which one was at the end. I believe it was Rocky like a hurricane. Kudos to them for chasing that white hot suicide squad acidic. <laughs> but wait, there's more. So after they kill all the people in the Siberian lab, Alice finds a tank in the back of the room labeled Icto Sapien. She asks what that is. And a fish man hand smacks against the glass. And we finally, Cut to credits. Oh, boy. You know, Abe, Abe. Abe. That's what we all want. Uh, so I was exhausted at this point. It was a two-hour-long movie where I was ready to go after 45 minutes. So I, I left, and I found out afterwards 
this film has not one, but two after credits scenes. Like, it's fucking Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Jesus Christ. So I, I had to look up descriptions of them online because I wasn't paying to go see it a second time. Also, <laughs> I didn't pay to see this movie. <laughs> I found out. <laughs> I went to the theater, and uh, they're like, hey, do you have loyalty reward points? I'm like, yeah, but I never use them. So the guy's like, oh, yeah, here, take this giant soda and this popcorn, and you get a free movie ticket, and your total comes to 53 cents. Trust me, you will be angry if you pay to see this film. I would have been much more upset if I had paid, but instead I, I plopped down 53 cents and walked into the movie with a shit ton of popcorn and soda. <laughs> right, so <laughs> we're almost done. Let me get across the finish line. Uh, the first after credit scene apparently is the ghost of Lobster Johnson pops up and warns Hellboy that there's more danger. <laughs> just and leave Hellboy, <laughs> and, and Hellboy's like I'm a big fan and that's that's all that scene is it's just we got Thomas Hayden Church we better use him so wait 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 that uh shot from the trailer of Hellboy beating up a monster while screaming god damn I love Lobster Johnson is just for the trailer apparently uh maybe th maybe that was the end credit scene I don't know I or there's like six different versions of this movie floating around in an edit bay somewhere. Possible. And uh, the the second and final closing scene, and probably the last scene we'll get of any cinematic Hellboy ever. Thanks, guys. Uh, is Baba Yaga has struck up a deal with an unseen bad guy. And basically, like, here's the bad guy for the next movie. Hint, hint, hint for comic fans. So it's probably if we were to ever get a sequel to this somehow, it'd be Koshi the Deathless. Whose, whose big deal is he's a Russian guy whose soul is basically hidden in a turducken. Like, you, you, gotta, you gotta find his soul hidden inside of, like, an egg inside of a goat inside of, like, Carmen Sandiego. And that's the only way to stop Koshi. <laughs> what I love is I've actually been flipping through Darkness Calls uh, during this episode, and it was just stuck for a little while on the image of him walking through the wilderness with his goat. <laughs> that being a sequel tease is fucking hysterical. Mike McNeil thing in the world. Evil. So there you go. Uh, boy, I felt like this amazingly, my script for this episode was only six pages long, but I feel like there's just days of material there. I don't I don't know how they crammed it all into two hours. I don't I don't know how anyone filmed all that and went, yeah, this is this is what we want to present to people. This is like five different movies crammed in together. This covers pretty much if you were to break Hellboy's storylines down, Hellboy recently came out in four Omnibus editions. This one would cover probably all of Omnibus 3 and half of 2. So if you look at all of Hellboy's history over four comics, this one is essentially like a third of it, at least, in two hours. I swear to God, if you were describing a trade paperback to me, I would have said, that seems like a lot for six issues. I, I'm astounded that they managed to get this much movie in for $50 million. I, I don't understand how anyone thought this was the way to go. It's weird. It's like, I kind of respect the hustle, but it's all for wrong. It's stunning. Also, I, at no point was that ever a movie. No, it, it jumps piece to piece to piece to piece. There's some random bits of gore. You can tell it's made slipshod. Like, they'll just be random second unit stuff slipped into the movie to kind of be like, oh, let's piece this together or make you understand that these things are supposed to be connected. Characters walk in for a scene and then vanish. They try and get you to see like 40 different characters. They, uh, and it's a shame because there are some kind of neat practical things they were trying to do here. Uh, Grugash is mostly 
practical pig monster. His his face is CGI'd because he has to talk, and that'd be very hard to do with like latex. But the pig body is like an actual monster suit, and that's super cool. The the Baba Yaga herself is I wouldn't say really close to how I imagined her from the comics, but a neat, creepy design nonetheless. So it's this is all just one hell of a thing. And I'm amazed. I had to, like, as soon as I finished the movie, I ran home and I just started just fiercely typing out what I remembered of it because I was already forgetting pieces. There was just too much happening. There's going to be a book written about this thing at some point, isn't there? Oh, this is Bonfire of the Vanities. Like, this is fucking the... He- like, we thought Dawn of Justice was the Heaven's Gate of superhero movies. We were wrong. It's this. <laughs> the man who killed the Hellboy. Like, that's, this that's made David good. Harbour walk off set. The, the nicest man in the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so mad because the Hellboy is a fascinating character. I absolutely love the comics. Mignola's comics are my favorite in the world. And the first two Del Toro movies are some of my favorites. I, I love them. So I knew going in I was going to have a bias, and I tried to keep an open mind, and I couldn't do it, guys. This was this was rough viewing. I can maybe say, like, if you want to watch this at home, about eight times, where you pay attention for 15 minutes and then wander off and, like, do your dishes, it might be palatable. But as it stands, this thing has way too much going on. The comedy is just forced. The, the script is a mess. The effects aren't great. The budget isn't there to support the ambitions. It's a nightmare, and it's just boring to sit through. Plus, Hellboy's a dick. Like, I know I said it before, but he is a dick, and he never gets better. There's not a single beat I watched in this movie where I'm like, you know, that Hellboy's all right after all. That beautiful, beautiful fucking character that means a lot to people, myself included. Uh, I'm drinking with skeletons. (sighs) What frustrates me so much about this project is there is such a obvious alternate version of events staring everyone in the face, which they did not take, which is, okay, keep Neil Marshall, keep most of the cast and characters, and just make a fucking BPRD movie with Doug Jones as Abe Sapien. That would have been perfectly fine. Just to test the waters for for a Hellboy 3. Like, keep it in continuity with the Del Toro stuff. And, like, throw in a cameo by Perlman at the end. Like, there's an after credit scene where Abe's, like, visiting Abe, uh, Hellboy and Liz at their house with the kids and telling them about the adventure. And then just watch the internet freak the fuck out because Perlman was in the makeup again for one scene. Right? What I love is, is you're describing a movie that almost happened several times up to and including when this got announced. Pretty much, yeah. It's the most obvious thing in the world, because Hellboy 2 was financially disappointing, but that came out the year of Iron Man. It came out the like culture a... is completely different now. People would lose their shit for a real Hellboy movie. Hellboy 2 came out the week before The Dark Knight. Yep. <sighs> like, that, there was no way that one was making its money back. And yet, worldwide, $160 million dollars. Universal was still happy about it. I mean, that's how why yeah. they greenlit a fucking Abe Sapien movie afterwards. Yeah. Let's put it this way. The production budget for Hellboy 2 was about $85 million. So the film, at worst, broke even. It probably made a little bit of extra. And this was back when you could actually make a tidy profit off of Blu-rays. And between Hellboy 2 and now, we've gotten Del Toro doing Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak, and The Shape of Water. He's a fucking household name the same way... 
honestly, some people like Burton or Michael Bay or Spielberg are, he's one of the most famous directors who does have real cachet with, you know, regular folk, like releasing a, a Hellboy 3 right now would be a completely different story than releasing it in the follow-up of Hellboy 2. Besides that, all you have to say is Hellboy 3 from Oscar-winning director Guillermo <laughs> del Toro. Like, you could just make the trailer a fucking Oscar and then, like, Ron Perlman snarling at the camera for two seconds. <laughs> That's all it would take! Oh, the the amount of looks that must have been exchanged across boardroom tables the day after del Toro won his fucking Oscar, like... I promise you, in 100% seriousness, there had to be at least one conversation of, so can we walk this back at all and just get Del Toro on board? I imagine the folks at Universal are probably still like, uh, we don't really want a green light at the Mountains of Madness, but god damn it, that might have been an okay idea. Yeah, can like they just had print money? They had James Cameron producing, they had Del Toro, they had an interesting angle that was, you know, its own thing. Ah, I'm so mad that the studio got cold feet at the last second. Like, fuck, guys, come on. Sigh. Mm. That's what this is. This is heavy sigh, the film. Mega the only sigh. thing I say in, in terms of optimism is Dark Horse has had some luck recently with Netflix. Like, the Umbrella Academy was very successful for them. Uh, fuck, what was the one with Mads Mikkelsen? Polaris? Oh, Polar? Polar, I think. That was terrible, but apparently that did well for them as well. So that... They've gotten kind of a first look deal with Netflix. Who knows? I mean, BPRD is actually a fairly popular series for them. If they could divorce that from Hellboy and just do that as a series from Netflix, I think that could turn out pretty cool. You there's have absolutely... an Envis canvas there. Yeah, there, there's like no sign this will actually happen. This is just me being optimistic because I'm so mad about how this reboot turned out and killed my favorite franchise. I will say, to, just to give this a little bit of, of hope, a little bit of light at the end of the, at the, end of the tunnel... We did say the exact same thing about the Hulk a decade ago. Like, remember when we were never getting another Hulk movie in our lifetime? <laughs> now we get him as a supporting character. Like, if, if the past decade has told us anything, absolutely nothing is off the table, ever. Like, we're getting another Ghostbusters movie three years after a Ghostbusters movie in a different universe. Anything is possible. Oh, everyone, it's all still on the table, no reboot, uh... Maybe Hellboy 3 in fucking 20 years when Perlman's CGI or something. I don't know. <laughs> they, they just deep fake him. They actually <laughs> use Harbor, but deep fake Perlman onto him. It's really disturbing. I don't like this idea. I don't like this science Hellboy. I'm already, I'm already out. I'm done with it. I don't like it already. Science Hellboy. So that's, isn't that just Cygor? <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, God. Could you imagine fucking the Bloom House? Spawn movie making bank and just becoming the new Hellboy franchise. That would be oddly beautiful. Blumhouse, that's uh, who should have made Hellboy. That yeah, nice. that's like, that's the most obvious thing in the world. Yeah. Not Lionsgate. Not Lionsgate. Yeah, just, just invest all the money in Hellboy's makeup and then just... Like, do Wake the Devil or something, where it's just Hellboy in a Victorian manner for We've two hours. we got a hours. spooky castle and Ron Perlman. Figure it out. This is sad. Yes. So now that we're all bummed out, <laughs> thanks for listening, folks. I, I have no more to give you. I have nothing to make you happy. This is what it is. It's a shame. It's a goddamn shame. 
So if you want to listen to some of our episodes that probably aren't as disappointing, <laughs> always leave them on a high note, Mike. <laughs> More of our content at boxofficepulp.com or on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Facebook, or on Twitter. Just look up Box Office Pulp and we'll be there making you sad. Anyways, folks, thanks for joining us. That's a wrap. Get the hell boy out of here. See, see what I did? I took a said, get the hell out. Hell boy. Get the hell boy out. Did we just sit through this entire episode because you had a pun ending? A little. No, I put it up on the fly. <laughs> that good. And like that, he's gone. Also, uh, while the recorder is still going, I just want to say thank you, John Arcudi and Duncan Fergrito. Those guys are There, awesome. I'm now better than Mike Mignola. Those guys are fantastic. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. <laughs>